and welcome to The Peace of Persistence. I'm your host, Abigail Wright, and today we get to spend some quality time with one of the most balanced people I have ever met. A native of Riverside, California, Nicholas Pallison is not your ordinary opera baritone. Sure, he's a graduate of the Juilliard Opera Center and a former grand finalist winner of the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions, and you can see him on their documentary, The Audition. He's won tons of awards. You can hear him at the Met, where he sings on their roster, and in several major roles in opera companies all around the world, including the English National Opera, Santa Fe Opera, and Au Balcon. But what's most unusual about Nicholas is, other than his success in opera, his training in clinical hypnosis, performance psychology, mind-body medicine, life coaching, and neuro-linguistic programming, along with 13 years of working with clients in the field. His unique combination of performance experience and his extensive mental skills training make him a highly sought-after, board-certified hypnotist for performing artists. Nicholas is a trusted and respected practitioner for a wide range of clients, including established professionals at some of the top symphonies and opera companies around the world. And he's even helped me prepare for auditions in a way I never dreamed was possible. He's a dynamic presenter as well, and he's a frequent guest lecturer at some of the top conservatories in the U.S. And he's also a guest faculty member at Wolf Trap Opera, among other opera festivals. Nicholas, I'm just so grateful to have you here. I've always wished that I could kind of have you in my back pocket to some words of wisdom. So I'm really glad that you decided to share yourself with us today. Thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It's good to be here. So I've always wondered, um, I know that you work with a lot of singers and performers in general, especially on issues like anxiety. Um, before you started hypnosis yourself, did you ever deal with any of those problems? Oh, absolutely. You know, have you ever heard the joke that people who get into the helping profession get into it because they're trying to work out their own crap? Sure. I mean, that's, that's exactly what happened to me. I grew up in Southern California outside of LA and Growing up, I, I grew up in what you would call, a, you know, to put it very gently, a, a dysfunctional home. I grew up with dealing with a lot of abuse in my home, a lot of physical, emotional, all sorts of abuse, and, and really struggled a lot with anxiety, struggled with depression, struggled with a lot of, of challenges. And wow, I would never have known. A lot of people say that, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I thought that I could get out of my house and go to school and escape it. And unfortunately, it was something that I dealt with a lot there too. I was bullied very frequently in school, made fun of, I couldn't get a date to save my life no. all throughout high school. And, um, and the craziest thing is at the high school I was at, they had these unofficial, you know, superlative awards, you know, that they give out. And I was voted the ugliest kid in school. You're kidding. Yeah, that actually happened. That's bizarre. Yeah, so, so, so like- Cause you know, you're not. Well, thank you. For the record. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, so I dealt with a lot of those, those issues at school, too, and, and really struggling with my self-esteem, struggling with who I was as a person, and if I really had any sort of value or worth in the world. And, and the one thing that I had discovered that was my, the one thing I felt I was really good at was singing. And I had kind of come into singing by being a part of the high school choir. And high school choir was an awesome experience for me in the sense that 
I learned how to sing and I got to do this thing that I felt I was really good at and I felt like finally there's like something in the world that I have value, yeah. you know, doing. Um, but because I dealt with a lot of the issues at home and I dealt with a lot of the issues at school, I had really, really terrible performance anxiety. And, and when, I talk, when I talk to people about it and I say terrible performance anxiety, I mean my legs would shake just uncontrollably, okay? I would throw up, like oh. almost all, almost before every performance, I would throw up because I was just so, had felt so nervous and forget the words, always forget the words. I'd start shaking, you know, just uncontrollably and just have all these panic attacks of, of quick breathing and such. And, and, you know, and it kind of came to this head where senior year of high school, I was singing in the choir Christmas concert and I got the coveted Oh, Holy Night solo. Nice. You know, which like every singer wants, you know, because they want to sing the high note at the end. That's really what it's all about. And, you know, everyone goes crazy because you nail the high note at the end. And, and you know, but I was freaking out about it. I was really, you know, looking forward to doing the solo. But so, you know, I came up with this great idea. I decided I was going to get a music stand. I was going to put it up and put it on the floor of the theater and put the music stand all the way up and I was going to write the words to All Holy Night on it. So I had my own version of like the Met prompter, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like if I forgot the words, I could just look down at my little cheat sheet and, and I could get it. So I go out, I'm totally freaking out, go out and I sing the first line of All Holy Night and I'm like, crap, what comes next? And I look out to look at my cheat sheet and I forgot one really important principle, which is, you know, when a concert starts, the lights on stage oh, get really, no. really bright. And the lights in the theater get really, really dark. So I'm there like looking, trying to find the words and I can't see it because it's totally pitch black out in the theater. <laughs> and so, and you know, and I tell people, you know, all the time, I tell people to this day, I still have no idea what I sang for the rest of that song. It was probably O Night Divine a lot, <laughs> you know? Because, because I, you know, I just completely blanked. Yeah. And it came to this point to where I said, okay, you know, this is something's really got to change. You know, I don't want to have experiences like this anymore. And, you know, I was a senior in high school and trying to think about, you know, what I wanted to do with my life after high school. And, and singing kind of felt like something I should be doing. And, you know, and, and, and I thought, well, number one, if this is what performing is going to be for me, you know, who's going to hire me? Like, right. if I'm going to have a train wreck every time I audition, how am I ever going to get hired for a job? And then the second thing, which, which really kind of hit me very deeply was, you know, if this is what performing is going to be like for me, do I even want to do it? Exactly. You know, because life is too short to be doing things that don't make you happy. And... And so I thought about it a lot, and I, I came to the conclusion that, you know, I did enjoy singing enough that I wanted to sing. I wanted to pursue it, and I just needed to figure a way to get out of it, you know, out of the issues. And so my grad night of high school, they had a little party for the graduating seniors, basically, you know, to kind of keep us indoors and keep us safe. Sure, we did you know, that from, too. Yeah, from going crazy, you know, that night or whatever. And as part of the grad night festivities, they had a hypnotist come. Oh. And they had this hypnotist come and do a show. And, you know, and it's one of these shows, you know, most people, when they think of hypnosis, they tend to associate hypnosis with these comedy shows or what they see on TV or movies, which is nothing like what I do. But, 
But, you know, that's usually people's first experience with it. You know, people get up, do silly, goofy things, and you know, everyone laughs, and it's, it's a good time. I laughed. I thought it was really funny, and it was really cool watching people get up there, you know, dancing with their brooms and thinking it was, you know, Brad Pitt or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, but the thing was is that I'm sitting there watching that, and, I, and for me, it kind of hit me on a deeper level. I said, look at the power of the mind. Like, these people are up there imagining these things and really for those moments believing them to be true and acting on them as if they were true and I thought you know gosh if these people could do that can't I wonder what would happen if I use that same power of the mind to imagine myself walking on stage confidently nailing that performance if I imagined myself standing up to all those bullies that had been beating me up in school and, and so I got really curious about the power of the mind. Yeah. And so I said, you know, I want to give this a shot. And because I had, you know, I had gone to therapy. I had been on all sorts of medications. I had, you know, tried all these other things and nothing had really been successful. And, and so I thought, you know, gosh, hey, let me give it a try. I've done everything else. So I went and I did some hypnotherapy sessions. And I did a few sessions. And over the course of the sessions, I learned some techniques that I could use on my own. And, and I tell people, you know, that, that literally changed my life. Because in the course of those sessions, I was able to completely take control of my anxiety. The depression that I had been feeling went away. I was able to get off of all the medications that I had been on. And to this day, you know, 18 years later, I'm still off of all of that and and my, all my stage fright went away that's wonderful and and so and, and and quite frankly you know there were a couple of times in my life when I was younger that there were two times in my life that I was very very close to committing suicide and and this work completely brought me out of that kind of pit of despair or whatever and and so I tell people that hypnosis not only changed my life, but I feel like it saved my life. That's huge. Yeah. So, so it had such an impact on me that I thought, you know, this could really help a lot of people. You know, I wanted to share it as much as I could with other people. And, and I kind of realized pretty quickly that in the artistic profession, that you can get a million great opinions about how to sing, about how to act, you know, about your languages, your diction, your, you know, everything. You know, there's lots of people who can give you great information about that, but no one is talking about the mental aspect of the No one's talking about, you know, how do you get out of your own head? How do you do with the mental challenges, the emotional challenges? You know, that mental aspect of our training and our development, I think influences everything we do. It does. <clears throat> you know, when you're in a good place here, this naturally is a lot better. And when you're not in a good place here, this has some problems. And, you know, and I realized, well, this is so important. It influences everything we do, but no one's talking about it. So I wanted to be the person to start that conversation. That's great. So then I went and I got trained and I got certified as a hypnotherapist. I got trained and certified in a whole bunch of other modalities and techniques. So that now what I do is I do what I call integrative hypnosis, meaning that I do hypnosis, and in addition to that, I also weave in some of the more successful techniques 
of various other modalities like performance psychology, life coaching, um, NLP, uh, performance psychology work, mind-body medicine, energy psychology, bringing in all of these other modalities so that so that basically I can create a really client-centered experience for the people who work with me and, and customize my work to that person's specific needs. You have a lot of training. Do you ever work with clients just as a life coach or otherwise without hypnosis? No, I, I do hypnosis with every person that I work with. And the reason for that is because I've just found, through all of my training and all of my experience, I've found that hypnosis is the most efficient and effective means that I've encountered for helping people make changes in their life. And the, I think that the main reason for that is because when you're working with hypnosis, you're working directly on the level of the unconscious mind. And so one thing that I explain to people is when I'm explaining hypnosis, I talk to them a little bit about the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. And talking to them about how how hypnosis works and why it's so effective, I explained to them that, you know, if you kind of imagine right here, you have this barrier in your mind, and on one hand you have the conscious mind, which is that, you know, three to five percent of your brain activity. And that's all the stuff that you're thinking about now, that's all the stuff that you're present and you're focused on now. And then that over here, that other 95-97% is your unconscious mind. It's all the stuff that you're not consciously aware of. Your heart breathing, your, your heart rate, your breathing, you know, all those systems that are keeping you alive, but also your habits, your beliefs, your behaviors, all of those emotions are all there. Everything that kind of drives your behavior mm. is really there in the unconscious mind. And so what I explain to people is, is that in between the conscious and the unconscious mind, we have this barrier that, that I like to call the bouncer at the bar. You know, so you have this bouncer at the bar whose job it is that when people are coming up to the bar, the bouncer has to check them out and make sure that, you know, they're not going to start fights with everyone in the bar, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> so, so what happens is the same thing really happens with our, our mind and with our thoughts and our experiences. So when we tell ourselves something consciously, you know, that information goes into our mind and the bouncer at the bar checks it out. And if it looks like it agrees, it's in sync with everything that's happening unconsciously, the bouncer will let them in. But if not, you know, if, like let's say that somebody wants to make some sort of a change. Let's say that they want to get more confident, they want to do better auditions. You know, and they tell themselves, okay, you know, I'm going to practice real hard, I'm going to do a bunch of mock auditions, I'm going to go have these coachings, I'm going to have lessons, I'm going to work my butt off and I'm going to prepare and I'm going to be awesome. Those are all really great, well-meaning affirmations and really awesome things to tell yourself. But if everything that's running in your unconscious mind is supporting that idea of you're not enough, who's going to hire you, remember last time you messed up, all of that kind of stuff that gets in our way, all those well-meaning suggestions are just going to bounce off the wall because they don't agree with what's happening in the unconscious mind. So a lot of people change without me and the way that they do it is they're extremely persistent. So what they do is they say, okay, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to practice. I'm going to go have all these coachings. I'm going to work, you know, okay. And they just keep going and they keep hitting their head against that wall. And then maybe eventually they break through the wall and that's how change happens. And I like to call that the hard way.
<laughs> you know, you're just banging your head against a wall and hopefully at some point you break through it. Also, most of the traditional models of traditional therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, life coaching, performance psychology, all of those areas basically follow the model of creating the change on the conscious level. They work on the conscious mind. Whereas with hypnosis, we just do this. We just move that barrier aside so that all the suggestions can get into the places where they need to go to help you make change a lot faster, a lot more efficiently, and a lot easier. So that's why I do hypnosis with everybody. Because, you know, life coaching is great. There's a lot of great elements of life coaching that I incorporate into my work. There's a lot of great elements of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, performance psychology, all these other modalities that I incorporate into my work, but I prefer to work on the unconscious mind because that's where you're really gonna make the change and that's where you're gonna create the lasting change. You know, versus just kind of putting band-aids on things, you'll actually be able to help people create new habits, create new responses from the ground up so that you're really addressing the problem rather than treating the symptoms and because you're building it from the ground up, those new changes, those ways that you want to be, have a chance to really take root. They can take root and grow into something much more powerful. So yeah, every client that comes into my office, we're, we're doing hypnosis. In your own wiring, do you find that your sensitivity as a therapist makes you more sensitive as an actor and a musician? It gives me an ability to be able to connect to things a lot more easily. And, and I think also the fact that I've had a lot of life experience and, you know, and like when I was talking about my story from when I was younger, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I've literally been to hell and back, you know, a few times. And so, and I think that that has also helped cultivate that because, you know, growing up as a kid, I, you know, didn't have any friends. I didn't really have much. I was just kind of left for me. So I did a lot of deep thinking. I did a lot of exploring of my emotions, my experiences. So I, f I feel that, yeah, it's something that I've definitely cultivated and developed. And as a performer, it definitely helps me because now I have a lot of life experiences of varying degrees. You know, not just kind of darker stuff, but a lot of really exciting, positive, happy experiences as well. I feel like I have a really rich palette to draw from. And because I have that sensitivity, it's a lot easier for me to get in touch with them. Um, as a therapist, it definitely helps me because, because I can empathize with people and not just on the human level, but on the performing level. You know, there aren't really many other people doing the type of work that I'm doing who can say, I understand firsthand what you're going through because I've been there and I'm there now. So, so I feel like that helps people feel more comfortable. It makes that ability to connect a lot easier. And, and yeah, the sensitivity I think helps because then people, people can feel that empathy. They, they know that, that I get it and they know that I'm there for them. You know, a lot of people will say when they're working with me that they feel, you know, like within five minutes, like they could just tell me their whole life story because they feel safe. It's true. They know that they're not going to be judged, and they know that 
that they can say whatever they want and they're talking to someone who knows firsthand what it's like. So, yeah, so I feel that that sensitivity definitely helps me both on and off stage. You connect with people for a living all of the time. How has that level of connection changed you as a person? I feel like I live a much richer life now because I love people and I love connecting to people and I feel like this work that I do has allowed me to connect to people in a way that I never thought was possible. You know, I think sometimes in, in our profession it's easy to kind of stay in our own camps. You know, the, the singers kind of all congregate with other singers, instrumentalists congregate with all the instrumentalists, you know, the actor, then there are the actors over there, and, you know, the dancers are over there, and, you know, and, the, and it's funny, because even when you do an opera, you know, it, it feels like the singers keep to themselves, and even if the show has singers, actors, dancers, whatever, everyone kind of stays in their own corner. It's true. You know, and I feel one of the coolest things about my work is that it's given me an opportunity to meet people that I probably would have never met otherwise and maybe never interacted with otherwise. Some of my most enjoyable uh, relationships that I've made with people who have worked with me have been with non-singers. You know, I, I, I love when the instrumentalists come to the office. You know, I love it when the dancers come, the actors come, because I get to see this whole other angle of life and, and life experience that I don't get exposed to as an opera singer. And, and so I think that being able to be around so many different types of people, so many different types of personalities, so many different ways of doing problems and solutions to those problems has now just helped me feel so much richer. I, I tell people all the time, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. And what's funny is that that's constantly changing. So, you know, six months ago, I would have told you the same thing. I'm happier than I've ever been. Now I'm happier than I was six months ago. You know, and, and it's cool that it that I feel like it just continues to grow and and grow like that. And I think that a big part of it is being able to really deeply and richly connect with people and take that journey with them to help them get out of their own way. And and as I'm taking that journey with people, I feel like I'm learning so much about my own journey and my own path. I tell people all the time, I feel like my clients teach me more than I think I teach them. They inspire me. I see so much courage coming in through the office that it's like, it's, it's, it, it, you can't help but be inspired at, at what people are, are bringing in and where they go with the work and on their journey. So, yeah, so I feel like it's, it's been ritually rewarding to be able to have those experiences with other people. That's amazing. I'm sure you've seen a lot of them. What are some of the most common ways that people get in their own way in terms of their success and happiness? They believe their thinking, meaning they have these thoughts that are going through their mind and they attach to them. They, they believe them. And next thing you know, they're running into a lot of problems. One of the things that I tell people is, is that thoughts are just thoughts, and thoughts are harmless until we believe them. That until we attach to them in some kind of emotional way, they have no power over us. And, you know, in fact, there's an interesting study where, 
you know, I, I recently read this survey where they surveyed a bunch of people, and this is crazy, 90% of the men that they surveyed and 80% of the women that they surveyed had admitted that at some point in their life, they had imagined murdering somebody. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? 80% of the women and 90% of the men had imagined at some point in their life murdering somebody else. But you know, and so what I always say is, okay, so does that mean that like 90% of men and 80% of women are murderers? No. No. Does it mean they all need to get locked up and thrown into jail before they do something? No. Probably not. You know, a thought can just be a thought. And the thought has no power until we believe it. So I feel that the biggest thing that gets in people's way is they're believing thoughts that that are not supporting how they want to be. They're believing thoughts that get in the way of, of who they want to be, where they want to be in terms of their life and in their career. And, and they attach to these things. And what happens is, you know, when we, when we know a little bit about the brain, what we understand is that anything that we believe, anything that we think, anything we say, anything that we do with repetition becomes an unconscious habituated pattern in the brain. So all of those things that we do, every time that we think those thoughts, every time that we do those things, what happens is the neurons in our brain are firing off. And there's a very basic principle in neuroscience called Hebb's Law, which says that neurons that fire together, wire together. Right. And so, you know, when every time that people, you know, replay those bad auditions, every time that people say that negative self-talk, every time people repeat those, what I call stories from their life with that same emotional content, all of those neurons are firing together and creating a stronger association. And so the more and more you do it, the thicker and denser those neural networks actually become. And there's studies where they've, where they've you know, talked to violinists and they've, they've scanned their brain. And the part of the brain uh, that controls the, the movements of the left hand, you know, where they do the, you know, the fingering, which is called the somatosensory cortex, that part of the brain is actually thicker and denser than any other part of the brain hmm. because they're repetitive in that action. And then, you know, they did something crazy. Then they told the violinist to stop practicing for a couple of weeks, you know, which all of them are like, what? That's like crazy talk, <laughs> right? And, and then when they went back and scanned their brain again, they, that area had lost a lot of that thickness and density because they weren't doing that repetitive action over and over again. So it had actually changed. One of the coolest things that we've learned in the last 10 years of neuroscience research is just how plastic the brain is. There's the, you know, the whole field of neuroplasticity, that idea that the brain is constantly changing and rewiring. That, that people with severe OCD, people with severe depression, people with these severe, you know, what we would classify as mental illnesses or mental disorders, have been able in a matter of weeks to be able to rewire their brain to have a completely different life experience just with the power of their mind, no medicine, just with the power of their mind. And so I tell people, you know, I think a lot of times people come in be believing these thoughts, you know, I'm never going to be able to change, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough, I'm never going to be able to do this, or I always get anxious, I always get nervous when I perform or audition, you know, that they've, 
they've taken these limiting beliefs and they've started attaching to them and believing them. But then, you know, a little neuroscience goes a long way. I explain to people, well, here's the thing, you know, you're not stuck that way. You know, it may feel that way sometimes, but you're not stuck that way. If people with these severe mental illnesses could rewire their brain to have a completely different life experience in a matter of weeks, hmm. you can totally overcome that performance anxiety. You can totally make those changes that you want in your life, and it's a whole lot easier than you think. And I think it starts with recognizing that thoughts are just thoughts, and you don't have to believe everything you think. Hey there, Peace of Persistence and Nicholas Pallison fans. I'm your host, Abigail Wright, and I wanted to thank you for tuning in to today's episode of The Peace of Persistence. I'm so happy to have you here, and I'm so excited about all this great content that I've decided to go ahead and split this episode up into two parts. So look for us next Friday to hear more, including Nicholas's story about how he became a hypnotist who sings, some great advice for life, and habits and traits toward living a better one. Don't forget to subscribe, share, review, and all that good stuff. And look for us next Friday, October 30th, for part two of Nicholas Pallison. Have a great week, and thanks again for tuning into the Peace of Persistence. But if we forget what really makes us sing and dance at night, it's the other people around and our dreams that live. The sun for my